Welcome to One Stop Shop, a weekly podcast that helps ambitious e-commerce entrepreneurs learn from the best. Brought to you by Convergio. To learn more about managing all of your e-commerce tools, channels, and strategies from one dashboard, visit Convergio.com. Today, we talk to George Brooks from Banded Together. Every entrepreneur wants to sell more. That's why wholesale can be an attractive business model. But when a product is the entrepreneur's brainchild, it can feel particularly difficult to let go of control. This is especially true when the brand story is an important component of the product. In today's episode, we chat with George Brooks from Banded Together about creating a tangible difference in the world and challenges of juggling wholesale and retail. Hey, George, how are you? Hey, guys, I'm good. Thank you. All right. Tell us a bit about Banded Together. Okay, so Banded, um, we are a fashion accessory company um, based in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, we launched the company and the brand um, just over five years ago, and I, I joined the company pretty close to the beginning, actually right as we were launching our first uh, line of headbands. Um, we're part of a, we, our parent company is a company named Lightbulb Innovation Group. Um, that's our LLC. It was originally set up as a more of a product development company for consumer products. Um, but the natural path has sort of taken us down uh, very much the fashion accessory route. Um, and so we launched uh, five years ago um, and we launched directly into the wholesale gift and small boutique market, uh, starting off locally here in Nashville Um and just growing that. Um, so we sort of flipped the script. Uh, most brands typically will launch direct to consumer. Uh, but we had some good relationships uh, within some rep groups. And that kind of drove us down the pathway of, of launching wholesale first. Let's back up a little. So how sure. where, where were you prior to this? And what was <laughs> the journey leading up to it? Okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, an interesting um not sure how I got here kind of story, which I think a lot of people have. Um, my background, I'm, I'm originally from the UK. I'm from London. Um, I ended up in Nashville um, about 15 years ago because I, I married a girl from Nashville. And uh, we ended up moving here and have, have loved it and have stayed here. Um, my background initially is actually in architecture and engineering. Um, in the UK, I worked in uh, for actually a government um, engineering department. Uh, public public works um, and then when we moved here I worked quite a lot in nonprofit and then I moved into back into the engineering world um, and the company I worked for previously to this um, was actually a um, anti-terrorism perimeter defense company um, so we uh, we designed and installed um, vehicle barriers at military bases um, oil refineries chemical plants that kind of thing and somehow I moved from that into um, creative product design. So it was one of those uh, scenarios where I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but it, it worked out and I, I love it. So I feel like you overstepped like a huge part of the story. How do you go from <laughs> doing something that serious to all of a sudden you're selling headbands online? Sure. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I think a lot of it is down to how this current company banded, how it's developed and evolved over the last five years. Um, the, the, the owner of our company or the managing partner of our company, um, 
is a pretty strong entrepreneur and he um, owned the, the company I worked for previously, the, the engineering um, perimeter defense company. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a very, while it was very much a, a hugely different industry, um, I mean, you, you, it doesn't get much further apart than fashion accessories and vehicle barriers. Um, it was definitely a very innovative company um, from a product development point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, when he he sold that business and I stayed on for a little while, um, he then wanted to start this current company um, and really focus on developing consumer products. Um, and so there was a bit of a natural jump there for me from a from a the point of view of being a designer, being a creative. Um, I like to figure out how to design things and how to solve problems, um, when creating a product. So there was a natural crossover there, but however, it's obviously a very, very different industry. Um, I think for me personally, it made sense as a career move. Um, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of times these, these things, these things kind of work in five year cycles or thereabouts, um, as you're kind of walking through learning and developing your skill set, um, and it, at the time it made it made sense and it felt like a right the right decision for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not sure if that. No, 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 I'm not sure if that gives that you any any help. Sheds a little more light than just I was building these fences and then I started making sure. Headlines. So no, that, that helps. I do have a couple follow-ups, yeah. but I'm going to let uh, Ileana take this next one and kind of see if it if you answer it without me needing to okay. ask. Okay, go for it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm actually curious because um, it doesn't sound like uh, the 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 person, the entrepreneur you were just talking about, uh, even though he had a business before, but it doesn't sound like he would be, and correct me if I'm wrong, sitting on mm-hmm. piles and piles of cash and, and, and just being able to spend it without, um, sure. you know, much thought. So right. and you mentioned mm-hmm. that you were creative and, you, you know, it, it sounds like you were a creative person. Um, mm-hmm. And... I'm sure you learn a lot of lessons when you're trying to build something with limited resources, yeah. like a lot of our listeners and, and most entrepreneurs, honestly, in the e-commerce world, they, uh, they try to build things from almost from nothing because, yeah. People, yeah. you know, most people don't have huge capital. They don't have uh, many connections or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the lessons mm-hmm. that you learned in the process? Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, First of all, I, I mean, I've learned more than I could ever imagine. Um, I think our whole team has, honestly. Um, we, you know, it is very hard to start from nothing. Um, and I think while we did have a small amount of investment um, from our owner, it has very much been off the back of the success of our products, which has been great to see. Um, I think <laughs> I think we, we've made a lot of mistakes, believe me. Um you know, we, we started down, down the path five, six years ago of being very broad based idea tank kind of focus company where our thought was, Hey, you know, we have loads of creative ideas. We have some awesome ideas for consumer based products. Let's, let's develop them and let's find them, either find a market for them, find distribution for them or set, let's sell the ideas. Let's license off those ideas or those products. Um, and it was a very, um, Great concept, but a very vague concept. Um, so early on, we we definitely made mistakes. And you know, when you you have a lot of great ideas, other people have a lot of great ideas. There are so many good ideas for products that are coming out every single day. But a great idea isn't enough. Sure. You have to have 
you know, a, a plan to market this idea, you have to have distribution. There has to be a desire for the product amongst either the consumer base or the wholesale base that you're um, stepping into. Um, and, and of course, many other factors. So we definitely had some, um, some failed, some failed products um, early on. And what we did was one of our products was a, a headband. We, um, one of our team members that uh, his wife was, you know, just complaining about how she loved headbands, but they really, they really hurt her head or they slipped off all the time. And we started to, we started to wonder, is, is there a product there? And we gathered some more consumer feedback. We conducted a few um, um, groups where we brought people in and um, talked to them about, about the product and was there a desire for the product? And we had just an overwhelming response particularly obviously from from women that wore headbands saying oh my gosh you have no idea how big of a problem this with this this is for us so that drove us forward to develop a specific line of headbands that we launched with that were um, no slip headbands so they they didn't slip off your head they fit any size head from a child to an adult and they fitted comfortably without hurting hurting their head and we actually engineered a patented design that's now now patented design for how those headbands fit that was really where we we started to realize wow we actually have a really unique product not some it's not a unique industry um obviously it's a big industry the fashion and accessory market is a, is a huge worldwide industry but we had a we had a reason to exist within that industry um so we pushed forward on this one sort of set of products and that was how we initially launched uh, the banded brand um, and sort of carved out a niche there for our listeners who are probably developing products right now or thinking about creating a product or have a line of products yep. and they're just starting out um, it, it's it's it, I, it, well something that you said resonated with me earlier you said that um, uh, you talked about feedback and getting feedback from mm -hmm. customers. that's one excellent way of yes. knowing the product it you know has market but and yep. you also said that it's not enough to have a good idea the product has to have a market for it people have to need it you yes. have to have contributors etc cetera, etc cetera. how do you figure all that out if you don't have <laughs> means to <laughs> i'm simplifying obviously there is no simple answer but what are some tips sure. what would you do differently if you were you know if you had a chance to go back in time i think the first step that is absolutely invaluable that we we did we did in the beginning but if I went back, I would do on a much larger scale if possible, um, is to get consumer feedback on, on your physical product. In, in the end, um, it's going to be whether you're selling direct or wholesale, it's, in the end, it's what the consumer wants that matters. And figuring out a mechanism where you can get in front of people. And uh, I mean, we, we literally would, you know, put an ad out and say, we need these, this demographic of person to come by our office and we'll give you free pizza. If you'll just come and try try on our product and talk about it, and so one key thing I think that I've often forgotten that I always have to remind myself is to listen really carefully to what these these consumers are saying as they wear your product or as they try your product, because however silly it might sound what they're saying, it's valid, you know. And I think as designers and creatives, we get very very focused on our ideas because that you know they're our, they're our baby. And it's, it can get really hard. You get very isolated and you think your idea is the best when maybe it's not the best or maybe it needs to be tweaked or maybe you need to come up with a better strategy to distribute it. Um, a lot of these factors or a lot of these questions can be answered by talking to the people that are going to be um, using, you know, using your product. 
another thing that relates to that that we had to learn fairly quickly is to really know what you're good at. When we realized that this was a good, a really good, unique product, the natural step on for that is to think, well, we can't just exist as selling a small line of headbands. We have to expand and we have to come up with new designs for the headbands. We need to come look at trends. It's not just about the function of a product. It's a, in the fashion industry. It's all about the trends, about the designs, the patterns. Um, and we started to learn that we needed to focus on our strengths. What are our strengths? We're never gonna. We're never gonna come along and and you know defeat the huge giants um, in the same market as us. So what what are the things that we can do better than them? And for us, it was design. Um, and we we we've built a product development team that's very strong on design. Um, we have some very talented designers um, from a fashion design point of view and from a um, product design and a traditional graphic design point of view which obviously ties into some things we can talk about later about um, marketing to stores and that kind of thing. But we've built a very strong team that em- the emphasis is on design. So it allows us to move pretty quickly um, when we identify a trend or, or a natural um, product extension. And I think that's been a big strength for our, for our brand and our, our product lines. How did you decide on that? How did you know that was a strength opposed to something else against your competition? That's a really good question. People loved our product based on the function initially. So the headband, it, it solved a problem. So there was, there was a consumer problem out there, or there was a consumer dissatisfaction for an everyday product, which is, you know, a headband. Many women wear headbands as an everyday item. Um, so we solved the problem. However, we quickly realized, you know, this is an industry that is driven by design. In the end, someone's going to pick up your product because of the way it looks, not not because of the way it functions. They'll figure out that it functions well after they try it, but you've got to drive that initial trial. And so, we realized, you know, pretty quickly that design is everything. And so we we got we got good at design. We we brought in the right people. We worked really hard. We um, sourced. You know, we thought outside the box a bit. We sourced custom materials, custom fabrics. We kind of pushed the boundaries. Um, we, you know, I, th- I think I, I'm not. I can't. It's hard to pinpoint where we figured that out. It was sort of very much just a natural. Oh, hey, this is working. This is where the direction we need to go. So we f- need to build the right team to do that. How much of it of um, I don't want to phrase this. This is something I've visited before in past uh, past podcasts. Of mm-hmm. this idea between do what you're passionate about and mm-hmm. just do what you're good at. Is it necessary to be passionate? Are they mutually exclusive? How does that work in in your life? Uh, in my life, <laughs> in my life, I, I'm passionate about a lot of things, um, and that typically drives. I would say that drives every area of my life, from from personal to family to business to entrepreneurship. Um, I think, you, I think the, if you are passionate about an idea, that's what's going to drive you to make make it succeed. Um, because there are times when you, you know there, you're always going to hit hurdles and roadblocks, and you you're going to have to climb a mountain to achieve something. If the passion isn't there, then it's going to be very hard to drive it forward, and in turn instill passion in in other people. However. 
the, the, or the, the, I guess the flip side to that, it's, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Um, our passion and our, our sort of fervor for a product or a design or a concept, um, we've got to be careful not to let that uh, blinker us. Um, and I think that's something that our team works on all the time is we have to remind ourselves you know, hey, we love this. We love this uh, print that we've just designed, um, or this fabric that we're, we've sourced, and we can get a little too caught up in our personal passion for it, and we forget what our market is is asking for, or what our consumers are asking for, or maybe some feedback we've received from some store owners what they're asking for. So I think it's always good to be passionate. In fact, it's it's essential. Um, you just have to know. Maybe and maybe it's a case of having other people around you and the right people around you to to sort of be the the devil's advocate or to be the um, the voice of reason when when you get too excited about a product. George, you do both retail and wholesale, and I, I was wondering how did you go from from one thing to the other, or was it always planned from the beginning to do both retail and wholesale? Um, it definitely wasn't planned. I, I think we've had to learn a lot as we go. Um, like, like any starting business, I think you go into it maybe with some, uh, preconceptions or, or some ideas of how you'd like it to go. Um, and then you learn pretty quickly that you were wrong about most things. Um, <laughs> and as I, I think the key to that is, though, is, is understanding, um, as your ideas change or you, or maybe you're proved wrong or you, you, something else comes up being able to adapt, adapt quickly to that. We had, so we launched, you know, mo, I guess most brands, at least brands that I look up to or, or, or brands that I've researched and are familiar with, they typically launch direct to consumer, especially now um, in today's times it's direct online. You know, obviously social media is the driver for everything. Um, and brands will typically launch direct to the consumers because they have a voice, you know, in this day and age, anyone has a voice, you know, they can, they can speak to directly to the people that are purchasing their products or hopefully purchasing their products. We didn't launch that way. We launched straight into the wholesale market. Part of that was we wanted to do it a little differently. Part of that was maybe underestimating the, the the draw of the cons- of a direct consumer um, business, but I think a lot of it was also to do with identifying that we actually had relationships with um, some distribution channels that repped to um, store owners. And so for us, a big piece of the puzzle we knew was going to be well, we have this great product, but how are we going to distribute it? And so we decided to launch into the wholesale um, gift and boutique market because we had those connections and because it, it made sense for our business model. Ironically, um, what we've now found is obviously, you know, we've neglected somewhat our direct-to-consumer market. Um, uh, but the exciting thing about that is it's a, it's a whole new area for growth. There are, there are some definite, definite challenges <laughs> with doing both retail and wholesale. And I think a lot of businesses discover this usually it's the other way around usually like i said that they launch direct to the consumer and then their popularity means that stores and reps um, and wholesalers are going to approach them and say hey we want to sell your product and that's a great problem to have those those people those companies they're going to then have to figure out how do you serve a very different market 
Um, how do you provide merchandising? How do you provide point of sale materials? Um, so for us, it was more the other way around. We were able to design our business to support the wholesale channel. So early on, a very important lesson we learned is how can we control, or not, not control, but how can we influence how our stores sell our product? Um, just from my background and some of our, our team members' backgrounds um, in consumer products, we know that um, presentation at point of sale is, is everything. Um, if if you, someone walks past your product and they, it doesn't immediately grab them, they're probably not going to try it or pick it up or look at it. So early on, we figured out our merchandising, our displays need to be excellent. Um, and we're constantly looking at ways to improve that merchandising and to equip stores to do that. Every every store owner, in, in independent chains at least, every store owner is going to have their own idea of how they want their store to look. If you've been into a fashion boutique or a gift store, everyone has their own style and their own feel. And that usually translates into the type of products they carry and the way the products are displayed. So our challenge has been, how do we communicate to our retailers, hey, we know how to sell our product best or we know how to display our product best, but still give them a display or a merchandising option that will fit the look of their store and the feel of their store so that they then get the best of both worlds. Well, part of part of the challenge also, I think, and, and you know, you sell to 3,000 uh, retailers, they carry your products right now. Yep. And when you do something like that, when you have something going on like that with your brand, what are yep. some of the measures you, you have to take to ensure that these retailers' values are actually aligned with those of your brand? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. And honestly, I think that's been one of our biggest challenges um, with the way, um, you know, it's, it's almost the, the best sort of example I can give um, would be, um, you know the game of the game of telephone that you probably played when you were a kid. Um, mm-hmm. y- there are so many links before we hit the end consumer that our message often gets diluted or gets changed or or gets forgotten. Um, and to an extent, there's not a lot you can do about that. If we're you know if we are selling or if we are working, say for example, through a sales rep group who are then talking to a store owner who is then selling to the end consumer, there are some, some inherent limitations to the messaging you can, you can provide. What we've realized is that um, business owners and stores, retailers, etc., in the end, they want to sell the most product. They want to be successful. They want to obviously their business to make money. Um, so what we try and do is provide them with the tools that they need to do that. Um, and that's everything from displays and merchandising to very specifically messaged point of sale items. So one of the things we like to do that communicates our brand and our give back is we love to give, you know, with every order we ship out, we'll ship a stack of, um, you know, handout cards that, that consumers can pick up in the store that talk about our products and our brand and our give back. Um, we typically will give retailers um, little table tents and there are toppers on the displays that again, talk about the give back that talk about our product that display, you know, a really great product photography and our model photography. Um, Trying to create touch points that are going to hit the consumer. That is also going to be attractive for a store owner to display in in their store. Um, And I think a big part of that is trying to make, 
you know, our displays and merchandising as attractive as possible. Um, you know, and if a, if a, a rep or a store owner contacts us and say, says, Hey, you know, we, we love your printed catalog. Is there any way you could give us some photography from there? So we have this now have this, you know, bucket of photography that we can print out and we can send them so they can put it in a nice frame and display it. And it gives them, it gives them real ownership in our brand. And I think that's how you make the best connections. It's never going to be perfect. Like, like the game of telephone is, it's never going to translate fully, but you can do everything you can to, um, to, to create that communication channel as, as it were. I was going to say the, the last major thing that we wanted you to be able to, to tell us a bit about was this one equals three give back program. This, I think this is, you know, we talked about passions early, earlier, and I think for all of our team here, this is probably the, the most passionate or the thing we're most passionate about um, with our brand early on, you know, and we are just to clarify, we're a really small team um, there. We have 12 employees total that do everything from, our product on team design and we we fulfill and ship everything ourselves as well so we have a fulfillment warehouse everything we do ourselves and so we're pretty pretty small tight-knit team and everyone is incredibly passionate about this aspect of our brand and early on we made a decision that we wanted to be um, altruistic it was a big part of just who we were personally our owner our owner is very passionate about it um, the president of our company is very passionate about it I'm personally you know, I've worked in several nonprofits that are, you know, close to my heart. And so giving back is something we wanted to do. We just weren't really sure about how to effectively do it. Um, obviously, we've seen brands, you know, such as Tom's and there are several other brands that have successfully done this. Um, and it's become such an integral part of, of their brand. So we, we started, you know, reaching out locally. Um, we wanted to really affect or, or help or do something local in our community. And we actually, um, one of our team members met someone who um, was connected to a, non, a local nonprofit called Amazama Ministries. And at the time, they were actually just getting started as well. And the founder of that organization is a, a lady named Katie Davis, and she lives local to us here. And she was, a, I think, a Brentwood high school student. And she took a year out after she graduated high school and just happened to go to Uganda, I think, do some missions work there. And she just fell in love with the country and the people. Long story short, she ended up living there um, and has adopted uh, multiple children. I think she's up to maybe 13 adopted children now out there. And we met just something about her mission and her story and that organization's vision, I guess, um, really resonated with us. And they run um, several feeding programs um, in the area uh, where they're based in Uganda. And we realized, man, that, that, that could be a really tangible way that we could contribute. One of the things we were very adamant not to do was just to say, hey, a portion of our proceeds go to XYZ organization. Mm -hmm. We wanted to do something that was tangible so that the consumer can say, wow, you know, I'm buying this product and it's doing this. We didn't want it to be vague. We want it to be very clear above board. We really wanted a model where we could say, okay, for every product that's purchased, you're, you're able to help in this tangible way. So we started to build a relationship with Amazama and really learned more about that program. And it just became so apparent that this was the right 
the right move for us. And so we worked out this this idea where one equals three. So every product, every banded product that's purchased will provide three meals for a child um, in Uganda through their feeding program. And it just resonated so strongly with us, with consumers we talked to, with stores. Um, we realized that it had to be a very important focus of our brand. Um, and so we went above and beyond to make our manufacturing as efficient as possible so that we could um, give this portion directly to this program where it's going directly to this. There's no, there's no intermediary. There's no bigger organization funneling it through. It's, it literally is three meals for, for every purchase, for every, sorry, for every product purchased. Um, and so I think it was just a, it just lined up perfectly with, with what we wanted to do as a company and just spoke about the vision for our brand and, and what we wanted to stand for. That's amazing. I think it's amazing what you guys are doing. Where can our listeners learn more about Banded Together and your mission? Um, yeah, so you can go to um, banditogether.com. Um, and there's a tab at the top where you can learn more about the give back. You can also go um, to uh, mazama.org. And then we also um, more recently ex- expanded our partnership um, with a similar organization uh, called Food for the Poor. Um, and they they do very similar feeding programs, um, but they work in uh, Central America and the Caribbean. And again, that was a natural sort of expansion of our partnership. So we we continue to uh, support those two organizations and and work with them to to do whatever we can um, in those areas. We love people asking questions. We get a lot of people, um, you know, responding to our, our comment feedback on our receipts, for example, from our site. When people make a purchase, they love, you know, they they see on our website we have a meal counter, so it keeps track of the amount of meals um, that have been provided. And when someone is filling up their shopping cart on their site, um, as they add a product to their cart, the meal count in the cart increases as well. So it gives a very tangible, um, you know, experience of what they're doing and, and how they're how they're giving and, and and providing for this. And then when they make their purchase, it says, you know, congratulations, you've provided X number of meals. Um, and then there's obviously a touch point as well when we follow up with them after their purchase. And so we get a lot of feedback from consumers that just they're, they're just uh, gushing about the fact that they've been able to make a difference. You know, that there's just something so unique about a tangible um, effect you can have on the world around you and on, on society. And very few brands offer that tangible, you know, impact. And I think that was something that we really wanted to make and keep very clean and very clear and very succinct. I can I can uh, almost hear some of our listeners probably wondering to themselves now, um, what tool or app do you use to <laughs> as a counter for you know you mentioned adding something to cart and then seeing like a tangible uh, number of meals that are being added. When yeah. You- well, th- yeah, this was a big um, kind of a big element when we built um, our Shopify site, um, which we we moved to Shopify. Um, about just over two, just over two years ago, um, from another platform, and um, we part, we got lucky. We partnered with a, a Shopify partner developer lo- who are local to us here, and they helped us uh, build out the site. One of the key elements we wanted was this: number one was the meal counter, and number two was add to cart tally. 
so there are actually no external apps. The uh, the meal counter we manually update based on our accounting. So we make sure that we have actually transitioned the the funding to the organization, and then we'll update the meal counter manually. The cart is basically um, it's a it's it's within the code. It's a JavaScript add-in, so it um, it adds it you know multiplies. As someone adds a product, it multiplies by three and triggers that that meal count. Thank you so much, George. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you, and thank you for telling us about inventing together. No, no problem at all. No, it's a huge pleasure. One Stop Shop is a production of Convergio. Learn how to manage all of the marketing tools, channels, and strategies that you need from one dashboard by visiting Convergio.com. This podcast was produced in partnership with Come Alive Creative. For help building, improving, and marketing your e-commerce store, visit comealivecreative.com. To listen to more episodes or to give us a rating, please visit convergio.com forward slash iTunes.